This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, 7.36 in the morning. I'm Chuang, joined by Sharitz. And uh, Sharitz, a generation of young Australians priced out of the property market and frustrated at the widening wealth divide has proved to be pivotal in triggering a change and might prove to be pivotal in triggering a change of government in the upcoming May elections. Now, the data shows that prices have come down by about 12%, but Sydney's median house price in Australia is still more than nearly, is still over 900,000 Aussie dollars. Sydney is the world's third least affordable housing market. Only 45% people percent of people own aged 25 to 34 own their own home, down 16 percentage points from the 1980s. It is the problem of the growing wealth divide, something that we see happening in Malaysia and all over the world. Now, the Labour Party, to try and combat this, is pledging to curb tax breaks, uh, to scrap tax refunds worth $5 billion a year for share investors. They're pledging to subsidise rents and build a quarter of a million new homes. They're planning to scale back a perp called negative gearing as well, which allows investors to claim the cost of owning a rental property as a tax deduction. So all kinds of speculative tax breaks to allow more property investment. So to give us a perspective on the growing wealth divide and the prospect of runaway house prices and the upcoming elections in Australia, we've got Danielle Wood, a Program Director of Budget Policy and Institutional Reform at the Melbourne-based Gratton Institute, a think tank. Danielle, welcome to BFM. Talk to us about this growing wealth divide in Australia. How bad is it? And how, could, how did it come to this? Yeah, it's a great question. It's, um, look, it is it's increasingly getting wide when we look at wealth by age. So if we look back over the past 12 years, households aged 65 to 74 are now about $570,000 richer than they were 12 years ago. On the other hand, if we look at a household aged 25 to 34, their wealth has barely shifted. Um, so it's quite a stark divide in terms of wealth accumulation. Um, you're absolutely right that this, the property boom sits behind that, um, really since about the mid-1990s in Australia, particularly in the big, the big cities. Um, house prices have really taken off compared to income. So people that owned a house, before that have done really well. They've made very substantial increases in their wealth. People that are now trying to get into the property market are finding that it's very difficult um, at the current levels of prices. Danielle, opposition party Labour is pledging to curb tax breaks for property investors, but some say that might crash values and derail the economy. What do you think? Look, I think a lot of the concerns about the policy have been overstated. Um, Certainly, cutting back negative gearing, reducing the discounts on capital gains are going to reduce investor demand for housing. I think that's very clear. Um, We've estimated that the price effects will be modest, probably in the range of 1% to 2%. Um, So, yes, you'll have more first-home buyers getting into the market and fewer investors, but the overall price effect is going to be small in the scheme of the, the normal ups and downs in the property market. Yeah, Daniel, I read some stats which also show that Australia's household debt-to-income ratio has ballooned for over the past three decades to one of the highest in the world. And Sydney, of course, as you know, is one of the most overvalued cities in the world. I think the real concern here is whether there's going to be a systemic uh, risk to your financial system. And is there a proposition for the regulators to step in and create more contingency uh, plans? Well, yes, so... People have not been to, you're right, we have a very high level of household debt to, to income. Um, regulators haven't been too concerned about it, um, largely because when you look at who's been taking on that debt, 
um, a lot of it is within high-income individuals that will have the capacity to service even if interest rates move. Um, but what they have been doing in response to the very strong property market and a lot of the, the investor borrowing to invest in property is to try and um, clamp down a bit on the availability of credit, particularly interest-only loans, which have, have been very popular in Australia because that's the, the way you get the biggest tax break. If you're negatively gearing, you want to use an interest-only loan to do it. Um, so those sorts of products um, have have been clamped on a, down upon a bit, which is actually why we're seeing the, the, the price falls that we're seeing at the moment. Daniel, uh, one last question. With Labor wanting to curb tax break and scrap uh, tax refund worth about Australian dollar $5 billion a year for share investors, their agenda will prove popular with younger Australian. Should that be a target segment for political parties for the election in May? Look, I think it's quite a clever way to target. I think younger people have been overlooked in a lot of policies in the past and that's why we see a lot of these tax breaks that um, give very good deals to older Australians. Um, so I think younger people are increasingly frustrated, particularly with the housing situation, but um, with broader outcomes in the economy. Um, so producing a, a package that appeals to younger people, I think, can be quite a, a savvy political move. All right, Danielle, thanks so much for your thoughts. That was Danielle Wood, a, um, one of the policy people at the Melbourne-based think tank, Grattan Institute. She's the Program Director of Budget Policy and Institutional Reform. Now, uh, Sharid's... Very interesting because um, it is not just here in Malaysia that we are suffering from uh, a pronounced Gini coefficient, which is basically a growing divide between the haves and the have-nots. It's a big issue in America, big issue in Australia. And it's really, I think, a reflection of the 10-year-long rally in share markets brought on by zero interest rates that have really accentuated the difference between the poor people uh, with just, you know, I guess, you know, with jobs on the fixed income versus the rich people with, with people with assets and um, things, you know, uh, like shares and, and stocks and, and real estate to leverage on zero interest rates is really accentuated the difference. And um, it's really going to be influencing policy going forward. Yes, and we could see that a lot of the policies has sort of... Um I would say favoring the baby boomers, especially when you look at the statistics. I mean, there's definitely that, uh, it, you know, the increase in wealth in this age group, which is between 65 to 74, is much more than in comparison to all the other age group. And of course, all this stems down in the last, you know, hit, um, 12 years of, of policies, which has been favoring them uh, rather than, you know, the, you know, the current crop. Okay, well, interesting news is all from the smartphone world. Uh, we have been talking about the new smartphone devices coming to the market from Samsung. We've been talking about Apple's earnings and their move into services. And really much in the same vein, Apple and Goldman Sachs, of all people, are partnering on a new credit card for the iPhone, according to the Wall Street Journal. Now, this joint credit card is um, something which I think will uh, allow the, um, Apple to boost services to their um, customers and Goldman Sachs also to get into an entirely new uh, different business for, for them. Now, really, um, it wasn't really met with a lot of uh, excitement by investors. I think Credit Suisse said this is clearly not a game changer. Uh, but what we do know is that operationally, uh, employees will begin testing the card soon, officially launched later this year, and paired with, no, with new iPhone features designed to help Apple customers manage their finances. And I find this rich with irony because Goldman Sachs, helping you manage your finances. 
<laughs> especially when they haven't helped coming. us in Malaysia manage our finances, right? <laughs> That's right. And I think just looking at you know this new arrangement where Apple is and Goldman are they are already, they are entering a crowded field with very little experience. Both are looking at new, re- but however they are both looking for new revenue sources as their bread and butter, uh, you know, as their bread and butter businesses are struggling. As you know, iPhone sales have co- uh, cooled down and they're turning into fee generating services. Um, this company. I mean, Apple is looking at boosting its services revenue to 50 billion US dollars by 2020. Um, and currently, Apple is just taking a small cut of their, you know, at 0.15% from the uh, iPhone users when they make a credit card purchase through Apple Pay. Okay, well, of course, Apple is trying to make uh, more, you know, uh, get more traction on the Apple Pay product. Um, it's just currently used on 16% of the devices worldwide, which is not a lot. And, um, you know, uh, I think uh, Goldman's themselves, not really in the online space, nor the consumer space. They're more known for their um, advisory business or their fee-generating business as um, as evidenced by their advice on Malaysia's fundraising <laughs> with 1MDB some yeah. years ago. Uh, but be that as it may, um, Goldman's are trying to launch an online consumer bank. They named it Marcus in 2016 to, F- to offset declines in, in, in share market trading. And really, I, I think, th- I, I don't know. I mean, this this story doesn't really grab me by the lapels in terms of um, innovating. And I think yesterday, Sharit, you mentioned that since Tim Cook or rather Steve Jobs uh, left the fold at Apple, there hasn't really been much innovation at Apple since then. It's just really been resting on their past successes. And this is just more evidence, I think, of them not really thinking forward, especially when financial services are at play. Yeah, and so trade talk is not going to improve things uh, in, 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 in that sense, I guess. Uh, again, it's very dominant. It's very prevalent that China is heading, uh, is leading the innovation, leading innovation in comparison to the US. Correct. So as much as they want to go for IP and stuff, uh, you know, issues with regards to intellectual property and so forth. But however, I think, you know, they've missed the boat. Okay. It's now 7.46 in the morning. We're going to be coming back with another call, but this time on local Malaysian news. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.